Austin Found is sponsored by the LBJ Presidential Library. Listen to the library's new podcast, With the Bark Off, conversations from the LBJ Presidential Library. Candid and revealing episodes will be added each week. Subscribe for free in your preferred podcast app. Literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. And today we're going to talk about Austin's first suburb. Real suburb. Real, real official suburb, right? Yeah, absolutely. Hyde Park grew up in the 1890s, and there are parts of Austin that were outside the, the urban core of the 1839 grid that could be called suburbs, but they weren't separated out and connected by a streetcar like Hyde Park. It was master planned. It like, was right? master was planned. By a developer, which is what's familiar to all of us. Is, yes. You know, when you go outside in the outlying areas of Austin, it's a master planned community. Right. And it was, Shipe was the name of the developer. And he took the grounds near the asylum, uh, which used to be the state fairgrounds, and turned it into a master planned community. Yes. And when you say the asylum, you're referring to the, the state mental hospital. The state mental hospital. But at that is, time, it was the term was asylum, yes, right? Yes, so it, was, it was way out in the country. Yeah, that goes back to the 1850s, and that's one of the oldest institutions in town, uh, was the, the mental hospital. So Hyde Park grew up on the eastern side of Asylum Street. Guadalupe used to be Asylum Street. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it was Asylum Street. Is that where the... Do you remember the band Asylum Street Spankers? Oh, goodness, I never thought of that. I never connected the dots on that. I bet that is. That was, I certainly know those guys, so I can Yeah, that was a kind of a rootsy, bluesy... Comic band, too. Sort of a side gig for a bunch of artists in yeah, Austin. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to let you gloss over it. You mentioned so passively, oh, the old state fairgrounds. Oh, yes. Growing up in Texas, you think state fair, you think Cotton Bowl, you think Dallas. Yeah, exactly. The state fair was in Austin. It was in Austin, which made sense. It was the capital. And so the land where Hyde Park is now had a racetrack, and it was... It was where annually uh, farmers would come and show their giant melons and whatever else. And, <laughs> and, you know, and their cooking demonstrations and all those things that go with a county or state fair. Then it moved to what was the growing big city of Dallas. Why did we let it go? We have a tendency in the city, I think, to take things for granted that uh, they'll always be here. We've rarely had the kind of boosters kind of civic slash business boosters that places like Dallas and Houston have. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing. For instance, we are totally against giving money to corporations to move here. They still get money from the state, but not from the city of Austin anymore. It's not recruiting anymore. So the history of Austin trying to limit people coming goes way back. <laughs> way, 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 way back. Still, they come. And still, they come. <laughs> Wow, I've always heard the stories of the 70s, you know, where they were just really like, if we don't build the infrastructure, they won't come. Right. They right, came exactly. anyway. They, they came, came anyway. anyway. So, yes, the State Fair. Tell your Dallas friends. We used to have the State Fair. <laughs> we did. We did. Again, you mentioned it, too. There were there were trolley cars that ran between right. downtown and Hyde Park. Uh, Shipe, 
the developer owned the streetcar. It turned, I believe, on to 42nd Street to turn around. It's a wider than usual uh, street. There was school right there, Baker School. Uh, actually, the school came after there was a lake there. Okay. Let's talk about the finish the trolley thought, and then I'm going to ask well, no, about the I mean, lake. The, the trolley was essential because you know, as a I, I I'm a pedestrian a lot of the time. I can tell you, walking from downtown to Hyde Park in the summer is like killer. And really, when we talked about the earlier kind of suburbs, South Austin, East Austin, West Austin, and again, not master planned or anything, mm -hmm. uh, those were walkable to wherever you needed to go. But Hyde Park was, you know, a hike beyond. Yeah, you get past 24th Street and it it starts elevating. <laughs> a little bit, but more. It's just a long distance. Yeah, yeah. And thank goodness they planted trees. I mean, Scheip himself planted the trees that you think of as being leafy Hyde Park. Those trees are ancient now. What more do you know about Scheip? He had a vision of the trolleys going to it, mm -hmm. the, like you said, trees and sidewalks. Speedway. Speedway was the, the car freeway, essentially, of its time. And it's ironic that now that for a big stretch of it, it is 100% it is pedestrian on the, on the UT campus. Uh, because it was meant to be the freeway to the suburb. <laughs> it was like they were looking at it as the way Con South Congress was going out to the south. Speedway mm -hmm. was going to be that way to the north, correct? Actually, no. It was more to go directly to Hyde Just Park. Just to this neighborhood? No, because the Dallas Highway uh, sometimes followed what is now Guadalupe. Mm -hmm. So the, the highway out of town would have been... Dallas uh, Highway, yeah. which was now Lamar. Or parts of it were Guadalupe, Guadalupe, parts of it were even in deep into neighborhoods. But, you know, it wasn't a big deal at the beginning because hardly anybody had any cars. So. And you mentioned the lake. In Indelible Austin, you mentioned the lakes in Hyde Park. And I went on Google Earth, and I'm like, where are these lakes? <laughs> it's not around anymore. How do lakes disappear? The only lakes I could find were a little more to the west, you know, just south of uh, Central Market. There mm -hmm. are some little yeah, lakes they there. They put in some, yeah. It's interesting they bring that up. Those are were both from tributaries to Waller Creek. The source for the branch of Waller Creek that goes through Aldridge and Hemp Hill actually starts on the that central market area. And it used to be kids would crawl into the tunnel from Hemp Hill Park and go all the way up to the asylum and, and then the nurses that would give them cookies or whatever you know it was crazy that's crazy that, stuff that, that sounds like a a, a movie like a yeah. slice of life movie in Tom the 50s Sawyer or yeah something, or go, something going through the the basically sewers to get cookies at the asylum <laughs> yes. did i just hear that yes and, and <laughs> i should add one more thing about shipe and that is this was Austin's first whites-only neighborhood. It was in the in your deed, a deed restriction. Really, that you uh, could not sell it. You to. could not sell it, and and in fact, wow. Uh, from my knowledge of other neighborhoods that were whites-only, those are still on your deeds. If you buy a house now mm. in that neighborhood, the deed abstract goes back, you know, to the original land grant, wow. and so you would still have that on your deed. Wow. A whites only clause. So you mentioned the horse track. Right. I mean, this is what we think of when we think of a horse track. Go show up, betting, uh, racing. Betting, racing. And there are remnants of the track still there in the way that some of the streets are huh. curved. Very few of them. But going right by Shipe's 
own house. There, there is a curved street behind the, the Hypert Baptist that uh, is said to be a remnant of the track. Who was moving into this area as it developed? Early on, it was people, professionals, uh, people who were working downtown, uh, people that were working at the asylum or had family in the asylum. Uh, in fact, uh, as you know from Indelible Austin, the book that you, you, you uh, mentioned earlier, people in Hyde Park knew everything about the asylum and vice versa. And mm-hmm. there was like one guy who regularly got out and, and broke out of the asylum. He'd always go to the same hide under the same porch and they'd come over and go okay buddy come on back that was that era's leslie yeah in no sense and did and i think you referenced like a an an alarm would sound in the neighborhood a siren when someone escaped yes and so everyone would be aware of that but the way you described it in the book like it sounds like the neighborhood was pretty comfortable with that oh absolutely their main recreation area was the gardens around the asylum and they treated that as their own, and they would promenade around the gardens of the asylum. And uh, it was not considered a scary place. It, mm-hmm. it was a, a place supposedly of healing. Now, by our own standards today, it was probably not a great place to, to yeah, be. Yeah. But so we uh, just didn't know much about mental health then right. and how to treat it. Right. Right. Austin Found is brought to you by the LBJ Presidential Library. More info at lbjlibrary.org. Let's talk about some of the homes and structures mm-hmm. in there, because there are some big Victorians. There's been an ongoing effort to preserve many of those, and then also some bungalows and tutors right. that went in, like, maybe post-war, but right? But talk about the Victorians. Well, the, the Victorian era, we've said on the show before that we don't have that many surviving Victorian homes, partly because... We didn't have a lot of wealth in the in the 19th century, and also partly because they went out of style. They became the witch's house or the Adams family house, you know, when they <laughs> right, were not kept up. Right, you know, right. they were like considered weird remnants of an earlier age. Uh, many of them survived, and a lot of it had to do with the hippies, who, uh, for many different reasons, adopted these big old rambling houses. And partly it was the back to the land thing. You know, they'd have a garden and they would bake bread. And, you know, this should be very familiar because this is us today mm-hmm. as a city. Right. Know. But but that was, you know, in the post-war era, that was, that was considered weird. Mm-hmm. You know, because you could buy everything at the grocery store. Why would you do <laughs> right, that? Right. And it was also part of the back to basics, you know, crafts. And so they would learn woodworking and learn uh, weaving. They applied those to these houses, and some of them became fantastic builders, ironmongers, all kinds of of crafts that came back in in the 60s and 70s. And then finally, also, there were the whole commune experience is we're going to fill this house with a bunch of young, idealistic people, and we're going to have our own little commune here. I come in at the tail end of the hippie era. I was trying to do that well into the 80s. <laughs> it's like, let's hang let's, on to let's it. Let's all have, you know, <laughs> let's cram more people in there. I mean, I had some of the houses that I've lived in in Austin, we had like six, seven people. We had people whose bedroom was the hallway, you know. Yeah. And, and we all thought it was a merry, fun, 
way to live. But and when you talk about the, the hippies coming in, and, and and so did the students. So mm-hmm. that first generation that moved into this development. Mm-hmm. As they got older and left, people started moving out into the outer lying burbs. Right, uh, right. And that, that's when the hippies moved in and students, and students moved in. Yeah. And a, and a lot of buildings got torn down to build apartments. Uh, some of them are stylish. A lot of them are not. Yeah. And they're pretty, pretty basic apartments. Yeah. Uh, you know, in some ways, they're having their own renaissance because people are appreciating the, that mid-century modern design and fixing up some of these mm-hmm. small apartment complexes. Now, some of them are so big and monolithic and, you know, just surrounded by concrete, it's hard to imagine how they'd be turned charming. <laughs> yeah. But uh, High Park is definitely a neighborhood of activists ready to come to its defense. And that comes from the, the, the hippie move in. It, the culture got embedded in there, didn't it? Part of it, the hippie movement. Also, there were some older people we talk about um, Mrs. Richter, uh, who was the wife of a state senator, who was an activist in in saving the Shipe House and saving other houses, and she pretty much went around and and schooled people on how do you talk to the city council, how do you deal with zoning, how do you save these wonderful old structures, mm-hmm. and there were also business people, like and, the- and they kept stuff from being developed in there right. as well, right? Like right? They wanted to keep it neighborly. They wanted to keep it neighborly. And the, the, the earliest thing that Mrs. Richter, Dorothy Richter, did was save the, the firehouse there, which is mm. a, a wonderful, quaint old firehouse there. But she was very good at understanding how to get people involved. And she would have neighborhood kids with signs out front, save our firehouse. And that would <laughs> be perfect with that. TV, you know. Right. It was like, and so, yeah, they did save the firehouse. And they saved other things, beautiful old buildings that became Hyde Park Bar and Grill or became, you know, uh, Vino Vino, a lot of the places that, that uh, we still appreciate. Yeah, let's talk about that. And you know, it goes back to the hippie thing because, as you mentioned, you know, the hippies and the students moved in. When that first generation had moved out. I was one of those students ah. <laughs> and rented a tutor on Park Lane. Wow. And loved it. It just absolutely loved living there. And, I, you know, it's like, a, boy, I'd kill to live there now as an wow. adult, right? It was very affordable. Well, Park, Park Lane led to the country club. And the last tutor on the, the uh, street on Park Lane, we talked about this before. I lived in the second to last tutor on that street. The last tutor, it's being fixed up now, mm-hmm. was the home of Mayor Tom Miller, who was mayor on and off uh, for three decades. Oh, wow. And that was his, and he was overlooking uh, the back nine, which is where Hancock Center mm-hmm. is now. Yeah, he was an impressive, a powerful man, uh, quoted Shakespeare, went to the Palm School, the dam is named after him. He's the person who's most responsible for the building that became the Long Center for the Performing Arts, the old municipal auditorium. He first was pushing that in the 1930s. And people think public projects take a long time. 1930. It didn't open until 59, I believe. And then it didn't become the, what it is now until 1998. Wow. And when I was a student living there and down the street, you met, started mentioning some of those. Hyde Park Grill, which is iconic, and right. it's surviving you know, a very competitive environment right. now with restaurants. The Big Fork, you yeah. know, yeah. big giant fork out front. And like you said, Vino Vino, Asti is there. Oh. It's just a, it's a, it's, 
it's that little pocket just feels mm-hmm. like a really neighborly. But when I would think of hippies as a kid, you know, growing up, and then even as the, by the time I was a student, Mother's was one of the only vegetarian. Now you can get vegetarian everywhere, gluten free, all that right. stuff. But way ahead of the curve. Way ahead on that. of the curve on that. Yeah, when I moved to town in '84. It was the only, it, it, to my memory, the only uh, purely vegetarian restaurant. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and you talk about those neighborhoods being activists. They also were instrumental in getting the airport moved because that Absolutely. was flight path. It was on the flight path, which is why we have flight path coffee mm-hmm. shops still there <laughs> as a, a remnant of those days. But it, yeah, I can remember... Because my first house was in the little, a tiny little neighborhood, remnant of, of a rural area just north of Miller Airport. We were on the flight path. But I remember the ads that ran all the time on local channels of a plane coming in right over Ridgetop Elementary School. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's going to crash. And that, Yeah, you felt like you could see people looking out the windows. Yeah. It was so low by the time it oh, hit that neighborhood. Oh, absolutely. And our... The walls of our house were cracked from the, you know, the vibrations. And we just put up with it because yeah. we were students. And <laughs> right, right. Like, You're just happy to have look, a place. We have a place, you know, of <laughs> yeah. our own. Yeah, and it was, you know, the school shuttles run through there. So yeah. that was very popular yeah. oh, for no, the students. Oh, no, it went up Cameron Road, yeah, and which made it ex- extremely convenient. One last thing about Hyde Park. Actually, there's two last things, <laughs> if you have time. I thought it was interesting when you described a field that got cleared, a prairie, of all the wooded trees, one for materials, Mm -hmm. but two, back to some of the other stuff we've talked about in previous episodes, a barrier, the point is not to have a barrier from the Comanches. Right, a buffer zone. A buffer zone where there's a visual contact. Right, where you you could see them coming from the high points. Like, for instance, think of where the Scottish Rite Dorm is, Mm -hmm. and right behind it, is this very very steep hill that goes just just down, on the north edge of campus behind goes down the, to the communications building? Yeah. That's that is the place where you have would have seen the Comanches coming, although they tended to avoid open spaces when they could take a, a, a creek. The Shoal Creek was their real freeway. Wow, which we've talked about in a previous yeah, episode. Dig around on these episodes. <laughs> and another thing that I was not familiar with, even having lived in Hyde Park and being from here, was Formosa. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which is in that neighborhood, and now I want to go drive by it. I was you know, street viewing it, yeah, uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm very interested in this sculptor. Yes, Elizabeth Ney was a German woman who trained in Germany. And she's one of these great, romantic, eccentric figures. And she moved to the middle of Texas. Uh, she lived closer to the coast before she moved to Austin. She moved to Austin. She was able to do these fantastic, full-scale sculptures of, of heroes like Stephen F. Austin and Sam Houston. But she also did all kinds of other sculpting. And she built herself a little, looks like a little castle yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, of limestone right on the creek, right next to Shipe Park. That was her studio. It's a couple floors uh, plus a tower. And that is uh, now the Elizabeth Ney Museum. Who's behind preserving that? Uh, actually, the city owns it. It is of the house museums that the city owns. It's probably the most interesting because hmm. it's full of her sculpture. Yeah. It's always had really uh, alert and sensitive directors. 
the biggest controversy in the last few decades was how they were going to redo the landscaping because they wanted to bring it back to the original kind of prairie landscape that would have been there when she was there. And a stone wall that bordered it. And the stone wall was controversial because it by now is historic. Yeah. (laughs) Even though it didn't go with the original design of the building, it's now historic as well. And so that was one of those ones where the preservationists were split and you were just like, y'all, just settle it. (laughs) It's not that big a deal. (laughs) Well, there's a glimpse at uh, our first master plan suburb, Hyde Park. Great stuff. Thanks for tuning into the show. We do want your emails, any feedback, uh, you can send that to mbarnes at statesman.com or jhager at statesman.com and pick up this book we referenced. This is out of volume two of Indelible Austin. There are three volumes. They're all at Book People and even now this is being recorded while we're in lockdown. Even now you can order it directly from Book People. Thanks for tuning in to Austin Found. Pass it on to your friends. Post on socials. Let them know about this wherever you get your podcasts. And happy trails.